In the beginning, let's give thanks for our brother in Christ, Christian, as he did that video. Thank the Lord for him. And uh, when I think about Barry and all the team, the maintenance custodial team here at First Baptist Church, they are the best of any church you'll find anywhere in the nation and the world. So thank the Lord for it, for them. I'm going to invite your attention to Matthew chapter 4. Yesterday morning I got up and found myself in God's Word at the place where I spent time with the Lord and I was reading through Matthew 4 again and the Holy Spirit used the early morning hours yesterday to bring conviction to my life. As I read Matthew chapter 4, I focused again on the temptation of Jesus. And as you think about temptation in your life and my life, I just want to encourage you. Whatever age you are, it could be a kid, student, adult. Make sure you handle temptation God's way. Because the enemy wants to destroy you. The enemy wants to divide you. And the enemy wants to discourage you. But I just encourage you as you read Matthew 4 and the life of Jesus, make sure you handle temptation the way he did. It is written, it is written, it is written. Rely on God's word. You can also rest assured of this, that your sin will find you out. Handle temptation God's way. I got a message Friday night, and it was about a pastor in Alabama. I knew the city in Alabama, First Baptist Church, Alabama, who took his life on Friday afternoon. Just handle temptation God's way. I want to say if you're even thinking about taking your life, I want to encourage you there's help available. Call us. We want to be there 24-7 to minister to you if that is a thought in your life about ending your life. Then I was reading on through Matthew chapter 4 and Jesus walking beside the Sea of Galilee, which is a significant place in my life. And he calls some disciples to come and to follow him, Peter and Andrew. And then he came to James and John and he called them and they were in the boat with their father Zebedee and and so he called these two brothers to come and to follow him. And I imagine the conversation went with these two brothers to their father. Jesus has called us and we're going to leave the fishing business and we're going to follow him because he promised that he would make us fishers of men. It was a call in their lives that they surrendered everything. Immediately they left everything and they followed Jesus in life. And as I read Matthew 4 yesterday, I'll never forget the morning. I was sitting on our couch. My dad was sitting on the love seat in our one-bedroom apartment. And I sat down with him, and I was reading from Matthew chapter 4, and I said, Dad, I don't know what all this means. There's been nobody in our family ever been called into the ministry before, but Jesus is calling me to come and to follow him and to serve him in ministry and I'm surrendering my life, Angie and I together, that we're going to follow Jesus. Wherever he leads us, we're going to be faithful to follow him. It was a conversation I'll never forget with my dad. And then you come to Matthew chapter 4, and then you see the public ministry of Jesus. He's experienced baptism. He's gone through temptation. He's called his disciples, and now we get an understanding of his public ministry. Let me ask you this morning, what are you thankful for in your life? 
We could say a lot of things. But I pray this morning we would say with great enthusiasm, we or I am thankful for Jesus. Um, a couple of Wednesday nights ago, I asked Tabitha, uh, who leads our kids' ministry here, and, uh, and then Beverly got involved in it as well, to say, can you just do a video with the kids and ask them what they're thankful for from First Baptist Church? These aren't kids you'll find on the internet somewhere else. These are kids right here. As many of them are right here this morning. And they're involved in our kids' ministry at different times during the week. But I want you to watch this video a couple minutes about what kids are thankful for. Let's watch this. Amen. Let's thank the Lord for, for kids. It's great. You heard in there several times, I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful for him today, and I know you are as well. Here's why, because Jesus is our Savior. There's not a person here saved outside of Christ. Jesus is the one who saves us. I'm thankful he's my Lord. I've surrendered my life to him. He has total control of my life and what, what he wants to do now and in the future. Jesus is the Lord of my life. I pray he's the Lord of your life as well. I'm grateful he's my best friend. I pray he's your best friend. He sticks closer than a brother. He's never gonna leave you or forsake you. He is with you always to the very end of the age. I am thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful as well he's healer. 
I would imagine there are many in this room you could testify how the Lord Jesus Christ has healed you. He may have used medicine. He could have done a miracle, but in some way the Lord has healed you. Thank the Lord that he is still healing people this very day. We can also know this, that Jesus, we're thankful that he is the head. What a joy to pastor this church, but I understand this. I'm an under-shepherd of the good shepherd, and I am grateful he is the head of First Baptist Church, Clarksville. Praise the Lord for his headship in this church. And then I'm thankful to Jesus that he is provider. He will always give us what we need at the right time. He's never late. He is always on time. I believe the Holy Spirit wants me to share this story Somebody in the room, somebody watching needs to hear this. Inside the other morning, I'd been invited to speak at uh, the Tennessee Baptist Children's Home Senior Leadership Staff. And so they gave me the time to be there. We were to be there at 7.30 in the morning. And so we put it in. Here's the directions, GPS, how we're going to get there. We were going to the promised land. That's not Kentucky. It was across the river that morning. So we were going to the promised land. Beautiful fall morning. So we leave and we got plenty of time. We're driving. We're, GPS is getting us there. We're going down roads, taking the left, taking the right. We're out in the countryside. We knew that we were going to be at this retreat center. It was going to be close to the river. So we're heading that direction. And so we're driving down roads, and again, beautiful fall morning, and then all of a sudden we come, GPS has us to this place. We're not far from there, according to GPS, and so we come to this single-lane road, and we're driving down the road, and I realize, thinking, is this really back here or not? And so we're driving down this single-lane road, and we come to a point, and there's an iron gate, and we can't go any farther than that. That's it. And I look up in the rearview mirror and I see headlights coming behind me. And my first thought was, well, somebody else is going to the retreat. So we'll ask them, what do we do with this gate? Where is this place? What do we do? We came to a dead end. We could not go anywhere else. And so I look up, these headlights are coming. Then all of a sudden I look over to my left out the driver's side window. And there comes this gator up beside me. And lo and behold, in the middle of nowhere at this gate is Brandon Chambers. And so I rolled the window down and he said, I never expected to see you two here this morning. And I said, well, Brandon, we never expected to see you here this morning. But we were at a dead end. And so we, he, he asked a few questions and he said, after I told him what we were looking to do, he said, here's the interesting part. You can't get there from here. <laughs> now you can see the place, it's right over there but you can't get across the river from here. You've got to go back to Clarksville and you've got to go around Ashland City Highway and then you can get there from there. He pulled it up on his phone. He said, you're 53 minutes away. <laughs> and I was supposed to be there at 7.30 in the morning. And it's about 7.25 at that point. But he said, you're not gonna get there from here. Now he's already thinking I could get a boat. I could take you across the river and get you on the other side. We've heard all that out. But we came to a dead end I looked up in the rearview mirror and saw lights, came and here it was, the Lord sent Brandon Chambers at the right time in the right place because we were gonna have to stop knocking, stop knocking on doors. Where, how do we get from here to there? We didn't know where we were at and the Lord provided at the right time. There's some people in this room. There's some people watching. You come to a dead end in your life. You don't know what to do. Where do you go? Who do you turn to? What do you do? I want you to look in the rearview mirror. 
The Lord is faithful. He will send you help if you will seek him. I want to encourage you today. Be willing to come to a place. Angie and I, we weren't prideful that day. And we said, Brandon, we don't need your help. We're going to figure this out ourselves. We didn't do that at all. We needed his help. I encourage you today, whatever your struggle is, whatever your weakness is, whatever dead end you find yourself facing, be willing to look up and see the Lord coming to your rescue and be willing to say, I need help from the Lord and from his servants and let the Lord show you the next direction of your life. And as we drove back, I made a phone call and said, hey, the good news is I could see it, but I couldn't get there. We're going to be there about 8.30 because I was supposed to speak at 8.30. We were fellowshipping at 7.30. Went there. The Lord gave me a great time and the Lord's sharing with that staff. But I just want to encourage you, when you find yourself at a dead end, be thankful for Jesus because he has not abandoned you. He's not forsaken you. He is providing for you at your very need. Trust him. Say you need him. And let him come to your rescue in your life. I'm thankful for Jesus. As you think about Matthew chapter 4, I want you to write these words down. Three truths from today's biblical text. And I want to give you these in reference to Jesus' ministry. Look at number one, Jesus' area of ministry. It says he went throughout all Galilee. So as you know anything about the Holy Land, Galilee is going to be in the north when you look at Israel. It was a place heavily populated with people, but it was also a place that was open to the gospel and to the ministry of Jesus. And so he was going throughout all Galilee. That was his platform. That was his area of ministry. Let me ask you, what is your area of ministry in your life? I pray you can say your area of ministry is your home, that you desire to serve Christ and be influential for Jesus in the context of your home and your family. I pray you can say that your area of ministry is your workplace, that you would never separate your faith in Christ, what you do on Sunday to what you do the rest of the days of the week. Make sure you are his witness even in your workplace. Ask God to use you. I pray if you're a student that you see your school as a place of ministry, teacher, whoever it may be, because you want to be salt and light, even in a school context, to make much of Jesus among others around you. But also I pray you see this church, and then I pray you see your life day in and day out as your platform for ministry. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, and I pray you and I will go throughout this city, this county, state, nation, and world, that we will make much of Jesus everywhere we go in the Christian life. It's his area of ministry. Number two, his audience of ministry. You look at his context and he goes on to say, he was going throughout Galilee and all Galilee, teaching them in their synagogues. His context, his audience of ministry, people in synagogues at this context. Synagogue had a central place in the lives of Jewish people. Paul ministered in synagogues. Jesus ministered a great deal in synagogues. It's amazing to be in the Holy Land and go to all these different cities, Capernaum, Magdala, other places, and you're going to see the ruins of synagogues that Jesus would have been in. And so here's his audience. When you go into a synagogue, here's what they were going to do. They were primarily going to do three things in a synagogue. They were going to pray, they were going to read Scripture, and they were going to discuss God's Word. 
Church, as we come together on Sunday mornings, connect groups, but also in this worship hour, aren't you thankful that we can continue to pray, that we can read Scripture and make much of God's Word, but we can also discuss what God is teaching us? What we do is more than just announcements. It's about God's Word, it's about prayer, and it's about fellowshipping with one another. And so Jesus here, his audience of ministry, people in synagogues, and then three, the activities of Jesus' ministry. What did Jesus do? The Bible says here in Matthew 4, Jesus did three things. He was teaching God's word, he was proclaiming the good news, and he was healing every disease and sickness. As you and I think about the Baptist church oftentimes, If we're not careful, we get so busy doing things in ministry and then oftentimes we're not as effective as we need to be because we're doing too much. Oftentimes if we would simplify things, do less things, do them well, we would see more kingdom fruit in the midst of that. And so Jesus really did three things. He taught, he preached, and he healed people. It's like when you go a search engine on the internet, are you, do you like Yahoo or do you like Google? Most of us are going to use one to two. When you look at Yahoo, there is so much information on there. But when you look at Google, it's a search engine, but it's very plain. Who do you want to be like? And so when you look at Jesus' ministry, let me write these three things down. One, Jesus taught. He taught people God's word. When you and I come together, we should always be teaching the word of God. Your connect group, this service, when we worship together, the word of God is central to what we do. Why? Because God's word is true. It's true from beginning to end. It's inerrant, it's infallible, it's authoritative. We should preach and teach the word of God. Second, he preached. When you look at Jesus, he preached the good news, the gospel, calling people to repent, calling people to turn from their sin and put their faith in him. Every time we come together, we should be preaching the good news of Christ. Here's why, because you don't save yourself. Good works will never save you. Religion will never save you. The Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the one who will save you. He lived a perfect, sinless life, died a sacrificial death on a cross, buried in a tomb, gloriously raised on the third day, ascended back to the Father. One day he is coming again. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus Christ, he is the good news and the gospel. And so we should preach the good news. And then he healed people. Jesus did those very things. What he said, every disease, every affliction, he healed people. Now again, when I think about healing, is he still healing people? Absolutely still healing people. And so we see the ministry of Jesus. What did he do? He teaches, he preaches, and he heals. Now I want us to walk through this, how to be thankful for Jesus. As you and I think about the Son of God and Savior of the world, if we're going to show and express our thanksgiving to him, how do we do that? And I've given you three ways. I could do many more ways than this, but just for time's sake, we'll keep it to three. Number one, love Jesus. How do you love him? How do you love the Son of God in your life? I'm going to give you these words. Number one is believe. If you're going to love the Son of God, the Savior of the world, you believe. What do you believe? You believe what the Bible says about Jesus. He is the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ lived a perfect, sinless life. Jesus Christ died on an old rugged cross. He was buried in a tomb, raised on resurrection morning, ascended back to the Father. One day he is coming again. When you believe what the Bible says about Jesus, the Son of God, you are loving him. And when you love him, you are thankful for him. So one is you believe. Number two, you surrender. You surrender your life to him. 
If I ask you today as kids, students, adults, when you look at your life, can you honestly say you are surrendering your life to Jesus? Have you done so? Lord, I I trust you as my Savior, but also I surrender my life to you as my Lord. Have you done those very things? I walk with you as my best friend. I trust you as my healer. I walk with you as my provider. Thank you for being the head of our church. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Here's what I know. When you surrender your life to Jesus as a disciple, there is a cost to discipleship. When you say, I'm going to deny myself, I'm going to pick up my cross daily, and I'm going to be a learner and follower of him, it will cost you to do that. But it's always worth the cost. But let me say also today, let me give you a warning, there's a cost to non-discipleship. If you live your life and you reject Jesus, the Son of God, as your Savior, you refuse to follow him as your Lord, you live your way instead of God's way, there is a high price to pay when you live unfaithful to Jesus in life. And I believe in my own life, and I believe it's true with the Word of God, that if you don't receive him and follow him, that cost is greater than the cost of surrendering your life and following him. There's a cost involved to that. Have you surrendered your life to him? Third word is obey. What does Jesus say? If you love me, you will obey what I command. So you believe who he is, you surrender your life to him, and you obey the leadership of Jesus in your life. Let me ask you, what is Jesus? The son of God, the savior of the world, your best friend, the healer, the provider, the head of this church. What is he asking you to do? Who is he asking you to be? So do you believe him? Have you surrendered your life to him? And are you willing to obey him as he calls you to follow? How, do we, how are we thankful for Jesus? On one hand, we say, Lord, I, I, I'm thankful for you. Why? Because I love you. Can you say today without any reservation, no hesitation that you are intimately and passionately in love with Jesus in your life. Believe him, surrender to him, obey him. Number two, fear Jesus. If you're going to live a life of thanksgiving to Jesus, then you need to fear him. Now here's, here's what I'm reading a book right now and it's called When People Are Big and God Is Small. What that means is you're fearing people more than you're fearing him. And so when I think about this, make sure you fear Jesus. What does that mean? You exalt him. What does that mean? You stand in awe of him. What that means is you you reverence him. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the son of God. He is the savior of the world. He is the almighty one. He is Messiah. You fear him. And how do you do that? Look at these words. First is holiness. That that's not acting weird, but that's just recognizing who he is. He never sinned in his life. There was never a time he disobeyed his parents. There was never a time he disobeyed his heavenly father. He never sinned. He is the sinless son of God. He is holy. And what he says, be holy because I'm holy, because he's holy, we should desire to do that as well. And when you look at Jesus and his holiness, when I read the gospel of Mark, I see individual after individual after individual. What are they doing? They're falling on their faces before him because they see his greatness and his holiness. When I read the book of Revelation, I realize John is on the Isle of Patmos. 
What is John doing? He's not there in pride. John is in humility on his face before Jesus, the saving one, the son of God. He is on his face. Why? Because of the greatness and the holiness of the son of God. And so when you and I fear him, we see his holiness. And what do we do? At times we fall on our faces before him, crying out how holy he is and how desperate we are. Here's the danger for us, though, in a Christian life especially those of us who are in America. We can become so spiritual, dignified, that we no longer bow on our knees and our faces before him. And if that is us, God help us because we should be the very ones who are falling before him, fearing him, reverence him, standing in awe of him and bowing. Why? Because he is the holy son of God. He is holy. Second word is sovereignty. When you think about fearing him, we understand how sovereign he is. How do you view him? Do you look at your, look at your relationship with God and then see the rest of your life? Or do you look at your life and then see God in some way? I encourage if you want to change the way you see life, look at your relationship with God first and then look at your circumstance in life. It worked for Job. It'll work for you and me as well. Here's how God is. He is the sovereign one. He allows things. He permits things. Why? Because he wants to grow us into the likeness of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you look at your life, you realize he is sovereign. He is in control. He has all authority. He is the Lord God Almighty. He is the one who is sovereign. I read an article the other day about artificial intelligence. You hear a lot about AI in our day. And so here's what it was saying. It was saying that AI is sovereign. What they're saying is AI omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. Those are some theological words you use. I've got words for AI. It is nowhere sovereign. There is one sovereign. It is the Lord God Almighty, not artificial intelligence. And we may learn from that and affect our lives in some ways, but there is one who is omnipotent, meaning he has all power. There is one who has all knowledge. He's omniscient. There is one who has presence everywhere omnipresent. That is the Lord God Almighty through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of us. He is sovereign, not AI. And so because of his sovereignty, we should fear Jesus, the son of God. And then number three is worth. We should fear him because he is worthy. There's a hymn that we sing, worthy of worship. He is worthy of our worship. No sin always meets our needs. Never going to leave us or forsake us. He sticks closer than a brother. He is worthy to be worshiped and to be feared. And because of his worth, what do we do? We stand in awe of him. Now, the challenge for you and me is we need to make sure, because this happened in the book of Malachi, and and God had a word for the people in Malachi, especially those who were priests. When it came to giving God something, they were giving him what they didn't need or what was left over. So they were not giving God their best. And God said, I'm not pleased with you because I don't want a lamb or an animal that is blind, crippled, or lame. I want the very best of your life. But instead, they were keeping the best for themselves and giving God what they didn't need. Let me give you an illustration. In no way is this a political illustration. I have a great respect for the, for the office of the President of the United States, regardless of who's in the office. 
But I want to give you this illustration and see how you'd respond to this and then think about our relationship with, with Jesus who is our Savior and Lord. Let's imagine this. You, you watch the news. The President of the United States and First Lady, it, they're going to be in your city and they're doing some, some, some visiting of some people and then all of a sudden you get a call from the White House and saying that the President and First Lady are going to be in your city and they would like to have dinner with just a normal citizen in that town and they have requested that they could come to your house and have dinner on a Thursday night. Now, after a while, you think, is this truly real? Is this, is this some kind of fake call? What is it? But you finally realize, no, it is the White House. You really realize that the president and first lady want to come to your house for dinner. What are you going to serve them when they come to your house? You hang up the phone from the White House. You start calling your family and friends, and you start telling them, you're not going to believe this. The White House called me. The president and first lady, they want to come to our house on Thursday night, 6 p.m., and have dinner. And then those people start asking, what are you going to serve the president and first lady? Now, again, this has no political message to it at all. Imagine if you said, you know, we got some barbecue chicken we had on Tuesday. We still got some. We'll probably give them that. There's some baked beans that we didn't finish off. It's still in the refrigerator. We may serve that. There's some vinegar coleslaw in there as well. A few days old, but that'll be good. So I think the president and first lady would just give them some leftover chicken, barbecue beans, and vinegar coleslaw. We'll call it a night after that. You're not ever going to do that. If the president and first lady wanted to come to your house on Thursday night, 7 p.m. to have dinner with you, I promise you, you will not serve the president and the first lady leftovers in your life. If we would not do that to the president and first lady, God help us if we ever do that with our heavenly father who gave his one and only son for us and gives us the Holy Spirit. Let's give him our best, not what is left over. He deserves everything. And he said, well, how do we do that? Let me give you these three words. What about time? Do you ever look at it and say, God, I haven't read the word today, but when this show's over, I'll give you some time to do that. What about coming to church? How many of us know that, that this, this, we should gather with God's people, but Lord, there was a ball game last night. I stayed up late. Don't feel like going today. Lord, it's hard to get a parking space down there, so I'm not going to go and fight the traffic. Lord, the weather's not good. It may be raining, so I'm not going to go. Listen, give him your best. Gather with the people of God. When it comes to giving, how many of us are giving him our best? Our lives, but also tithes and offerings. Not what is left over, what we don't need, but Lord Jesus, you gave your best on a cross for me, and I give my best to you as your son, your daughter in life. We love him. We fear him. And if we're going to be thankful for him, we love him, we obey him, but we fear him, we stand in awe of him, we reverence him, we exalt him in life. And then number three, serve Jesus. If we're going to be thankful for him, we love him, we fear him, but we serve him. Let me give you these three words. One is purpose. You serve him because he's given you purpose in your life. You have to realize he saved you and left you on this earth for a reason. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you and he's given you a spiritual gift for a reason. He's given you a purpose. That's what Jeremiah 29, 11 talks about. You need to discover the purpose God saved you, left you here, gifted you. What does God want to do in your life? What is his purpose for you? Second word is call. 
He's calling men and women and boys and girls. He's calling people to come and to follow him, just like he did those early disciples. He's doing that in the lives of people. Again, I'm serving in ministry, not because it's a career choice, but because of the call of God in life. How is he calling you? Maybe he's calling you as a young boy, young girl, man, woman, to say, I'm calling you into Christian ministry. I encourage you to obey the call of Jesus. He may be calling you in your secular vocation, whatever that may be, to say, I'm calling you to be salt and light, light in the midst of darkness. I'm calling you to use your vocation to make much of me in your life. How's he calling you? I just encourage you, whatever he calls you to do, wherever he leads you, make sure you are surrendered immediately. You obey the leadership of Jesus. And then number three is mission. He's given you a mission. What is that mission? It is to make much of Christ, gospel conversations, sharing the good news of Christ, people we're around, we meet. It's also a mission to make disciples, not just decisions, but disciples. Make sure you understand your purpose, you hear his call, and you live your life on mission because when you serve Jesus, you are expressing your thanksgiving to him. So how do we say thanks to him? Lord, we love you. Lord, we fear you, and Lord, we serve you. Here in just a moment, we're going to sing a song about blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. A number of years ago, we were live streaming church I was pastoring. I got a call on Sunday afternoon. Somebody had been out of town, and they were watching from another state, and they called me on that Sunday afternoon said, hey, Pastor, How's your day going? I said, well, it's going great. Great morning of worship. And then the person said, hey, I just want to check with you and make sure you're okay. And I said, absolutely, I'm okay. Why, why do you ask? And here's what the person said on the phone. Watching a live stream, I'm standing down front in the invitation. And the person said, you just seem burdened today in the invitation, and I just want to make sure you're okay. And I said to my brother in Christ, I, I absolutely was burdened. You know, why, why wouldn't I be? I'm burdened because I want to see people come to Jesus. I want to see people follow him in baptism. I want to see people join the fellowship of the church. I want to see people surrender their lives to Christian ministry. I want to see people confess sin and get right with the Lord Jesus Christ because he will forgive their sins. After I want to come to the invitation with a burden in my spirit to see the Holy Spirit move in the lives of people. Here's what I would say to us on this Sunday. I pray when we come to this point in the service that our burden and our spirit would become a normal reaction for us. Why? Because I look around and see hundreds and hundreds of people here. I look into different cameras and realize there are literally thousands of people who watch by, uh, by broadcast in some place around the world. I want to be burdened in the Christian life to say, Jesus, I don't want anybody to die and spend eternity in hell separated from you. Jesus, I, I, don't, I don't want anyone to not obey you in believer's baptism to stand before people and to say, Jesus has saved me and changed my life. I'm not embarrassed or ashamed of him. Jesus is everything to me. I want people joining the fellowship of this church because we need God's people, brothers and sisters in Christ. I long to see people walk an aisle or the Connect Center, wherever it may be, and to say, God is at work in this church. I want to be a part of this church. 
I want to see people who say, listen, I I never saw this on the radar screen, but the Heavenly Father has called me through His Son and the power of the Holy Spirit to surrender my life, to be a servant, and to be involved in ministry. God wants to do something in my life, and I'm surrendering to say yes to Him. And I long to see people who are at that dead end in life. They're at that iron gate. They don't know what to do. They look in the rearview mirror. Headlights are coming their way. God is going to provide a way of escape for them. I long to see God's people say, I have sinned against God. I need his forgiveness. I come broken before him. And First John chapter 1, verse 9, if you'll confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you. I long to see people walk out these doors, log off their computer, saying, I am a free son or daughter of Jesus because he died for me, shed his blood for me. My sins have been forgiven and he has forgiven me and I'm living a free Christian life. I long for that. And so sometimes if I look burdened in the invitation, it's not that I'm sick or something's bad. I just thank God that he's burdened me because I want to see people get right with him because you can live your life with blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. You can live that way. And so I want to encourage us to bow our heads. There's nothing wrong with me today either. I just, I'm just praying and asking the Lord to move in our mess. Now this invitation... We're going to stand here in just a moment. I'm going to be here in front. Our pastoral team is going to be here. Our prayer partners are going to be here. If you need Jesus, you need to be baptized. You need to join this church. He's calling you into ministry and you need to surrender. There's sin in your life. You need to confess. You need to come and get on your knees and pray. Whatever the case may be, come to him this morning. Draw near to Jesus and he will change your life. He will do it. And you can walk out of here with blessed assurance in Jesus. What a great morning to be together. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Now, Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are. Thankful for you. Lord, I just say thank you, thank you, thank you for dying on a cross, victorious over the grave. Thank you for the Holy Spirit inviting us to come near to you today. And Lord, I I thank you for the burden you've given me about people making decisions for you. So Lord Jesus, as we sing in the room or those watching around the world, we pray that lives will be surrendered. It'll be for your glory. We come to Jesus and we leave with assurance and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.